G'day folks, welcome to episode 101 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So we're back again for another year, 2021. Uh, Apologies, this episode is a little bit delayed from what I had initially intended. Uh, January has been quite a busy month, so yeah, we didn't get back on deck as soon as we wanted with the podcast, but uh, we're here now. So uh, as usual, we're going to go through the usual roundup of vulnerabilities that have been fixed in the supported Ubuntu releases in the last week. Uh, And as a treat as well, I have back a special guest to the podcast, Joe McManus, uh, my previous co-host. Joe and I are going to be talking about the SolarWinds hack that happened late uh, last year. I'm going into a bit of detail about that as well. Uh, Plus, we've got a bit of community news as well to get through around uh, some open positions in the team and some farewells as well, unfortunately to say. Uh, But yeah, so let's just dive straight into it. Uh, So there have been 22 unique CVEs that were addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases in the last week. Uh, First up, we had updates for the NVIDIA graphics drivers. Uh, These were for uh, the Ubuntu releases 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support and the Groovy Gorilla. Uh, these uh, were three different vulnerabilities in the NVIDIA graphics driver, which is a, a binary driver that's provided by uh, NVIDIA, proprietary driver. Uh, and uh, the details on these are a bit scarce, but uh, basically, you know, as an unprivileged user, you could either cause a denial of service, uh, you could possibly do an information leak from the kernel, or you could do privilege, privilege escalation as a result. Uh, so they were fixed by updating uh, the latest versions of those. We also then had a corresponding update to the kernel that the kernel team did. Uh, that's because the kernel um, signs these drivers as part of a secure boot process and the DKMS process for that uh, as well. So we had updates for that uh, just so that you know, the NVIDIA driver could go out as well. Uh, we had updates for Pillow for Trusty ESM and Pound for Ubuntu uh, 16.04 Xenial uh, uh, long-term support release. Uh, incidentally, Xenial will also be um, approaching ESM soon, and so we will have some more details on that uh, in the upcoming few episodes. Uh, but I digress. Uh, then we had an update as well for MUT, the popular um, command line based uh, email client. Uh, one vulnerability here that was fixed for Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 long term support, and the Groovy Gorilla 2010. Uh, in this case, it was what I'm going to call a memory allocation amplification attack. And so if you're familiar with, uh, I guess, normal amplification attacks, we often see these in network-based scenarios where uh, an attacker or an unprivileged attacker can, say, send a small packet. Often these are done via DNS and other things, but say to a DNS resolver, and the DNS resolver will then respond with a large response. And so what you can then do is if you can um, you know, set your source IP address to be someone else, you send that to, say, the DNS uh, server, it will then send back to that IP address a very large response, and you can get it to overwhelm you know, that other host. So you can essentially use that as an attack. In this case, it's kind of similar, but in this case, you can send a small-sized email. When MUT goes to view that, it will uh, allocate a very large amount of memory in comparison, and you can then get MUT to crash as a result. So you can stop someone reading the email. Uh, in this case, it happened around the way that Mutt handles um, name fields where you could have, say, just an empty semicolon there as a delimiter between them, but it would allocate 40 bytes for that empty name anyway. So for your one byte semicolon, you can get 40 bytes of memory allocated. And the reporters then found if you, you know, send a 25 megabyte email with all these semicolons in it, you know, Mutt will allocate a gigabyte of memory. And depending on your machine, that then may crash. So that was fixed for Mutt. There was an update as well for uh, libsoundfile for a couple of our older releases. This is for uh, 1404 ESM or trusty ESM and uh, 1604 long-term support and the Xenial Xerus. Uh, there were 12 different CVEs that were fixed in that. 
but the one that I want to get to a bit more detail in is the uh, high profile vulnerability of the past week in uh, sudo. So two different CVEs we rolled into this fix, but the uh, most important one of them uh, was a high, a high priority one. Uh, this affected Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support and the Groovy Gorilla 2010. Plus it also affected uh, our extended security maintenance releases. And I believe the updates for that are currently uh, in works or have already been published by the time you will have uh, listened to this. Uh, so uh, yeah, this vulnerability was found by Qualys. Uh, they have named it um, Baron Von Sameedit or something like that. Uh, I'm not too sure where the name comes from, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it's a vulnerability in the way that sudo parses command line arguments. And so, you know, sudo is set UID root. That means that when anyone executes it, uh, you know, I can execute it as an unprivileged user, but then sudo will run as root. Uh, and then obviously sudo has to be written quite defensively to then make sure that any vulnerability that's there, you know, can't allow me to say, you know, to redirect its control flow and then get code execution as root as a result. Unfortunately, in this case, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the way that uh, sudo was doing command line argument parsing uh, will allow this buffer overflow and therefore uh, you could then possibly get code execution, which is what Qualys did. Uh, they were able to develop three different exploits against this vulnerability uh, that would then be able to uh, exploit distributions like Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support or Debian 10 or Fedora 33 and the like. Um, so basically, you know, all modern Linux distributions and actually historical ones too. This vulnerability has existed for nearly 10 years in sudo uh, since July 2011. So a very old one. Uh, so you definitely want to make sure if you haven't applied updates that you have applied them in this case. Now, I did note uh, Qualys on their blog, which I've got a link to in the show notes, have a great video that sort of um, demonstrates them walking through uh, the exploitation of this. It doesn't go into a lot of detail about uh, the vulnerability itself, but uh, on the OSS security mailing list, uh, their post there does. It goes into you know quite low level details of how they uh, you know attack different uh, structures in memory and the like. So if you want more details on that, you can go and read up on that. But uh, in their video, it sort of they have to run their exploit in a loop because uh, it doesn't work all the time. Uh, essentially, because address space layout randomization uh, randomizes in this case uh, the location of environment variables in memory, and so then when they go and try to um, you know, find those and overwrite them uh, to you know, perform their exploit, they're not where they expect them to be, and so often the exploit doesn't work. So it is good to see, I guess, that uh, these modern uh, defensive techniques or hardening techniques that we do employ in the distro help to make this stuff harder, but obviously it doesn't uh, mitigate it entirely. Um, so yeah, if you haven't applied your updates for sudo, make sure you do because yeah, that one is uh, yeah quite a doozy. All right, and that is it for this week in security updates. So as I mentioned at the start, I've brought back uh, my longtime co-host Joe McManus uh, as a special guest uh, this week to talk about the Solar Winds hack. Hey, so this week I wanted to welcome back a special guest to the podcast, Joe McManus. Joe was uh, the longtime co-host with me previously, and I've got Joe back on this week, uh, as I say, as a special guest to uh, give expert technical commentary on the recent solar winds hack. But before before getting into that, Joe, what have you been up to since uh, since being on the podcast with me? Well, first, I'd like to um, just fix something you said. You called me a co-host, but I've often thought of us as co-conspirators, really. Um, but anyhow, I have been um, after leaving the the amazing security team at at Canonical. I am now the the chief information security officer of Drizzly, 
jiffer.com, um, which is a um, online uh, way to purchase uh, alcohol and things like that. So you can get it shipped to your home. It's kind of like, um, I'll say kind of like uh, like a DoorDash or an Uber Eats where you just um, can buy something and it'll go to your house an hour later. You've got a whole market awesome. and apps and whatnot. And it's really interesting because, uh, you know, when I was at Canonical, um, you know, you and I, we worked on, I'll say the supply side of, of security. You know, we were creating secure software and making sure people ha- could run secure systems. Um, and now I'm still doing that, but I'm also now doing the additional part of operational security. So I think you can really benefit your, your OPSEC by also having this, I'll say, supply sec sort of um, background. But um, yep. before we get all that nerdery, um, I've been reading um, a bunch of books recently. So um, uh, because of actually even the previous uh, the previous manager of the security team at Canonical, Emily, had recommended a book about, I think it's about Algorithms for Life. I believe that was the name or something close yeah. to that. So yeah. I just picked it up and read the first chapter last night. Um, and then I, for sci-fi, I've been loving the um, Omega Force series of books. And then I just finished um, uh, The Mountain of My Fear, I think, um, about um, climbing uh, uh, some mountains in Alaska. That's really good. Um, what have you been reading? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, Joe, though, because uh, this is something I think has been missing from the podcast, the weekly book uh, book club. Uh, <laughs> I was reading, I've been reading The City and the City, um, kind of sci-fi speculative fiction novel uh, by China Myville. Uh, it was brought up, I think, on a Twitter thread that was kind of commenting about the uh, kind of almost parallel worlds that um, different sides of politics seem to uh, <laughs> inhabit nowadays. Uh and uh, yeah, it's kind of this uh, yeah really cool book. Um, so if you, I think there's a there was a series of it made a couple of years ago too, which uh, I'm going to go try and track down like a um, you know TV series. So yeah. yeah, if people aren't into reading, but uh, kind of like this idea of um, these two cities that both coexist in the same geographical location, but they each um, you know kind of uh, tune each other out and ignore each other as as needed. Um, and it's this sort of murder murder investigation detective kind of detective novel but yeah set in this uh yeah in interesting environment so anyway yeah cool book but, you know yeah. if we were a uh, martin Wimpress and alan pope we'd um yep. have a podcast just for books or reading and then we'd also do three more security podcasts and they'd be excellent <laughs> and somehow yeah. they can just do that week in and week out i'm super impressed by them so uh, also they're yeah. good at people <laughs> yep yep yeah so yeah actually if you don't listen to the ubuntu podcast make sure you go check that out all right. So uh, anyway, let's get on with it, Joe. So we wanted to talk about SolarWinds. And because uh, uh, I haven't read up a lot about this, I wanted to ask you questions about it. So talk to me, what is SolarWinds or who are SolarWinds, should I say? Okay. Well, first, let me preface all this with the only information I have is what's publicly available, although I previously did work uh, on behalf of CERT for DHS and DOD and groups like that. I don't have any any extra information other than what I was able to research on my own. So SolarWinds, I've actually used that in the past. Um, it is a it is a network monitoring and management software. So you can use it sort of like a like a Nagios style tool for alerting and messaging. But where it has even more control is that SolarWinds can do things like uh, actually you can configure it to modify your switches and routers, right? It can um, so not only pull SNMP, it can actually do changes on them. Um, you can do the same thing for, I believe you can use it to apply updates on your servers and whatnot. So um, it obviously like all these systems, they can't, 
they can't run as a, well, they usually don't run as a non-privileged user if you want full information. Because just like in Ubuntu, there are certain commands we can't run unless you're root. Um, I think what is it? I think there's like an IO top command that has to run as root, doesn't it? I think. Um, yeah, but there's, there's like, yeah, a bunch of those tools need yeah privileged interfaces. So yeah, yeah. so you have to um, you have to run these commands as root. So essentially, you've got this distributed system that can connect into all of your boxes that um, uses a web interface and can do and, and has to run as root to do its job. Um, and because of that, all those systems should be thought of as, as like really juicy targets. And um, we know at this point because. Uh, the, uh, the the FBI, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, the CISA, um, the Office of <laughs> the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and the NSA came out with a joint briefing saying Russia is behind this attack. That I believe it's what's it, Cozy Bear APT twenty something. There's, I can't keep up all the all, all the APTs right now. APT twenty nine. Um, they said they're behind this, right? So they had the great idea that let's use this distributed tool to compromise targets. Yep. And so I guess the the other part of that is how widespread uh, the product is used. You know, it's used in all kinds of places that therefore gives them uh, direct access to all these other networks and all these other, other systems. Yeah. So I guess they say the user base is 18,000 different companies are running this. So while this may have been targeted at the, um, at the, at the government, although we're not sure, I mean, although since it's, it, since it's um, Russia, let's just say it's targeted at the government, um, they they were able to put the same backdoor that they ended up putting in in 18,000 different networks. Um, but what I think is like, what, why you um, why we keep seeing this, um, I've seen that, but why this type of attack is so popular, that is, is because it's war, right? This is, this is modern warfare, but there's very low cost, right? We're not shipping tanks around the globe. We're not sending missiles that cost millions and millions of dollars sitting behind a desk and doing this kind of work right it's much cheaper yeah yeah um i think of it more as espionage i guess right um, yes. unless you're actively you know where had they turned this into a not petia style destructive attack mm-hmm. um i think war but it is it, it's kind of is it information warfare maybe it is too though in a way to kind of say well you know once you discover it you know you kind of realize just how um vulnerable you've been as a mm-hmm. you know as as said, the U.S. government or whoever, you know, well, it's not just U.S. government, other other governments and other places uh, that got hit by this and that had it actively deployed against them. Um, yeah, and I guess what strikes me too is I think this had a number of different, um, you know, they they compromised some Windows Windows update thing as well and a bunch of other, kind of had a bunch of different vectors that they used uh, along with this to kind of, I guess, make it resilient. And uh, there was a, surprisingly, I think there was a kill switch that, um, you know, unless you were one of the real high-value targets, you know, it would not activate itself. So, you know, they they made an effort to, I guess, make sure it didn't get detected. You know, they did a really good job of trying to make it uh, stealthy and, you know, not just, hey, let's, you know, let, obviously it got out everywhere, you know, got into all these different uh, networks and systems, but it only was really active on the ones they really cared about. So it's, um, you know, high-quality high quality work. Yeah. What was really interesting, right, is they would have, I don't think, they still wouldn't be caught if they hadn't compromised FireEye. Right? Yeah. So they got caught when they exfiltrated FireEye's red team tools. Um, and that was what was initially in the paper, right? Every this sort of yeah. got exposed when FireEye got compromised. Uh, and everybody was concerned about the red team tool being compromised, which I, I honestly, I don't see as a real big threat, right? I mean, there's FireEye, which let's say, 
I don't know their numbers of employees, but let's say they've got 500 people working on red team tests. Well, there's yep. a lot more than 500 attackers out there working on their own versions of red team tests, right? Yeah. So this yeah. is a third got exposed. I'm not too concerned. Um, but I mean, well, you never want to empower your enemy, but still. But also on that, you know, obviously this this adversary, you know, ABT29 or whomever, you know, they clearly had some very good tools of their own to be able to get yeah you know, to get in, right, like to build this stuff. So I don't think they really need any help from FireEyes with their tool set, particularly when, as FireEyes said, I think, uh, you know, their tool set was using all publicly known exploits. There was no zero days or anything in there. So it's probably not um, not a huge amount of value there, uh, you know, stealing someone yeah, else's. How much better is it than Metasploit, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, no, now to your, um, I was about to say, yeah, now nah, because I'm talking to my Australian friend again. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, but I thought when you said, you know, there's a couple of different compromises, right? There's all these different theories. The only thing I think that has been definitely proven so far, or at least exposed to be proven by, that, by the government, is that there were two DLLs that were compromised. Um, and then the DLLs, depending on whether or not, as you said, you were a high value target, it would pull down the second piece of malware, which I think they're calling teardrop, um, okay. which would then be your, your, your back door. But it was uh, a pen tester came out saying, hey, you know, they had a FTP account which would let you get into their, I believe their repository, um, which had the password SolarWinds123. Yep. Um, so that was out there for, I guess, as early as 20, uh, 2018 and wasn't fixed until 2020. Yep. Um, and, then, and then now there's a lot of talk. I've heard two different theories on how this is happening. It's that I believe their development shop is in, um, I'll say, is, was, was it uh, the Ukraine maybe? Um, or Romania, they have a big mm. development shop there. And then JetBrains um, is a pro- is, you know, JetBrains is a project management tool um, that has access, that I guess is a, is a tool that's being used by, by SolarWinds. But this is only um, something they've thrown out in some, there could be this type of thing. Um, nobody's responded with how that was used to do the compromise. But compromising something like this is just a really, really, I mean, it's a really good attack, right? They deployed that software everywhere in a, in a, in a very small amount of time. Um, I think if you, you know, it, it's like other attacks that where they um, compromise something like your Active Directory domain controller, right? Yeah. Because you can push out everything quickly. Um, and so you'll hear people talk about how the software bill, the SBOM, software bill of materials will um, help prevent things like this. And I don't know how it would, right? If you compromised a DLL, I mean, you'd have to know when that code was committed, um, how either or, or when the MD, like how the MD5 changed. You'd have to figure out when that piece of malware was put in. Your, your software build materials would still show that DLL. I don't see how it would actually help you in any way. Yeah, particularly um, as a customer. Uh, in this case, I think they, they compromised the build server to inject their um, their backdoors. So, you know, it was the officially shipped SolarWinds product that contained it. It wasn't like it was you know, obviously, or, you know, inserted in after it was delivered or, you know, while it was being delivered or something like that, it, you know, you would go and download your official SolarWinds and it was there. Um, so, yeah, as a consumer or a customer of SolarWinds, you've got no hope. Um, as SolarWinds yourself, uh, unless you're doing some kind of, um, you know, what is it, the old double diverse compilation or whatever, uh, you know, reflections <laughs> on trusting trust style stuff and, you know, building it separately and then comparing the binaries or something, again, you, you know, and that's... Um, 
but maybe that maybe they just kind of thing that these sorts of companies need to be doing you know to make sure that when they are yeah. delivering these very privileged tools that um you know obviously when they're compromised can give a lot of access to an adversary they need to perhaps be doing a bit more uh, a bit more work on their own application security um yeah yeah well well let, you know let's think about you know i still i still use and love ubuntu um so let's think about how let's something like this with ubuntu right when we yeah. when we bring software into into main so it becomes part of an lts we um we do uh we do a pretty deep analysis on it right we do a code review we run it through static analysis tools we run it through our own secret sauce tools um yep. and this is quite time consuming that's why you know if we're committing to something in main um you know, it, it takes a lot of effort we, we, we have assurance in the software but yep. after that if a rogue committer were to try to put in the back door you know it would we'd have to it would be difficult to discover um so you know it it, it is a very difficult problem to solve. You can't just say, well, they were negligent by not discovering it. Would would a tool like Coverity have found this? And I don't know if they didn't use common, if they didn't use like common package names, right? How would it have yep. discovered it? You could think, well, even, you know, it's a really... Yeah. yeah, I think what we don't know, if, yeah, if it was inserted directly into the source code, maybe you would then see source code you didn't expect, but if it's inserted while it's being built, you know, then it's not even in your, you know, the developers aren't seeing this malicious code in their own repos, you know, internally to solar winds it's only once it's built that it's in there so you've got yeah i think it's, it's a very good hack it's a very good way to get your um or to compromise that supply chain really um in yeah, the case I of mean, Ubuntu, yes yeah, yeah, all the all the all the um you know all the source code is freely available and you can go and get that and you could compare the um source you can download the source debs and compare those against the up, official upstream uh, repos and you know there are teams that try to do that so we have uh, there are ways you can try to detect this but to do that at scale across the whole repo would be um would certainly be interesting yeah well and that's where i mean you know i'm a huge fan of open source um yep. so i think i think where open source kind of helps in this regard would be you'd have quite a lot of reviewers quite a lot of people looking at these prs saying yep. why why, what is this piece of code here, right? And I think that's where open source really help out here. I mean, if someone were to go into, um, I don't know, uh, let's say someone were to go into Nagios and try to put that type of code in, you'd yeah. probably have a number of people who are working on the Nagios project, just you know, saying like, wait, wait, wait a second, what's going on? And you'd have yeah. to look at that at PR. So it's it's a really interesting problem. It's it's I don't envy SolarWinds, although they did a great job. I believe they hired. Um, uh, Chris Krebs today to be yep. their, uh, their CISO, which is really yeah, right. cool. Wow. Yeah, well, he is a, he was a CISO previously, wasn't he? So, yeah, he, uh, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> I think you can't do much better than that at the moment as <laughs> to lead your security effort. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I just think this is super interesting. And I can't wait to see what the final report that comes out, sort of describing how this was done. I think it'll be as changing for the security field as when, um, uh, as when the Stuxnet report came out, sort of detailing how that yep. happened, which sort of changed how we approach it. I mean, if you think of if you think of a Stuxnet style attack where they try to stay under the radar, but sort of slow down the what was it the uh, enrichment of uranium? Yeah, um, they didn't want to be detected. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you think about using this as a style of attack against, let's say, the U.S. government, if you didn't want to be detected by immediately breaking things, but sort of compromising things and slowing things down, and you know that would that would be a way you could have a long-standing impact on just destroying the efficiency of these government groups or some yeah. projects. So, yeah. 
I'm, I think it'd be really interesting to read the report when it comes out. I'll be super excited to check it out. Yeah, we look forward to that. Well, uh, thank you, Joe. It has been fantastic talking to you again and getting you back on the podcast. I've really missed uh, doing this. Uh, and I think we will definitely have to do it again uh, not before not too long. So Yeah, thanks. anytime, man. Yep. Bye, everybody. It's great to, great to be able to talk to everybody again. And that was Joe McManus, CISO of Drizzly there. Thanks again, Joe, for taking the time to talk SolarWinds with me. Okay, so moving along, uh, something I wanted to touch briefly on uh, was something I mentioned back in episode 98, which was uh, the private home directories feature for uh, the upcoming uh, interim Ubuntu release 2104, uh, the Hirsute Hippo. Uh, this is now uh, being uh, put into production. Uh, there are a bunch of different news articles that have picked up on that. Uh, but yeah, if you are installing that, uh, you will now have uh, more private, or by default, your home directories will be private. They won't be able to be read by other local users on the system. Uh, so that is a great feature to see. As well, I wanted to mention some open positions that we have within the security team. Uh, we are hiring for both uh, a director for our team and a manager, uh, as well as if you're into AppArmor or you want to work on AppArmor and you've got familiarity with uh, Linux security modules and you know, kernel hacking and that kind of thing, uh, check out that one as well. And finally, we have a position for uh, an Ubuntu security engineer working on our certifications team too. So if you want to uh, work on things like FIPS and the like, uh, yeah, definitely check that one out as well. I've got links for all of those in the show notes. And finally, one thing I just wanted to take uh, a minute or so to do was to uh, say farewell to one of our long-standing uh, team members, Jamie Strandboge. Uh, Jamie uh, left the Ubuntu security team at the start of this year. Uh, Jamie has been with the team for, I think, 13 years. Um, he is one of our longest-serving uh, members. Jamie was the manager for the team for quite a while. Um, he was sort of the uh, security architect for Snaps and uh, Click and uh, the Ubuntu phone before that. And Jamie has you know, really influenced Ubuntu security in uh, a very large and positive way. And Jamie, you will be sorely missed. Uh, in particular, we'll uh, miss catching up with you. And I learned a hell of a lot from you. So thank you so much for everything, mate. Um, and I'm sure we will see you in the community still uh, out and about. Okay, uh, and one other thing I wanted to also do uh, this week, uh, we learnt sadly uh, yesterday of the passing of one of our colleagues, uh, Adam Conrad, or Infinity. Uh, Adam worked on the foundations team at, on Ubuntu for a very long time and was integral to uh, the release process and many other parts of Ubuntu as well. He unfortunately passed away and yeah, our thoughts are with uh, Adam's family and friends and you will be sorely missed, Adam. Uh, thanks so much for everything that you did for Ubuntu as well. All right, uh, so on that sad note, uh, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, as usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at security.ubuntu.com. We are also in the Ubuntu Harden channel on chat.freenode.net, the Freenode IRC network. Uh, there is the security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you want to talk, come and uh, discuss any security topics with us there as well. And finally, if you're on Twitter, we are at Ubuntu underscore sec, so come find us there too. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. It's been great doing this all again for you this year. Uh, yeah, let's hope we are a bit more regular for the rest of the year. Uh, not so much of a break in between. Uh, but yeah, remember, uh, keep calm because we've got your back and I will speak to you soon. Bye.